This is Tony Metro. You're listening to the official Mets Weekly Podcast, hosted by four Mets fans who are brutally honest and don't hold back. Make sure to head over to our YouTube channel and follow us on TikTok for exclusive content on each platform. With that being said, let's go Mets and enjoy the show. Baseball, it is back. Spring training has begun. There is tons to talk about. Let's just jump right into it. Episode 9 of the Mets Weekly Podcast. Mets fans, welcome to 60 Minutes of Brutal Honesty. Now, before we begin, y'all know the drill. Make sure to subscribe to the Mets Weekly channel. Follow us on Twitter, TikTok, including all of us individually. The links are all in the description. We have been doing live post games on the channel, giving you guys our raw reaction to everything going on during spring training. So make sure to turn on those post notifications to join the live discussion. So at the moment, three games have been played in spring training. It will be four games by the time that this is out. How are we feeling? It's been the Brett Beatty show featuring the New York Mets, so I'm, I'm always loving that. Uh, pitch, you know, we're seeing some of the young arms that we've picked up on the waiver wire pitch well. You know, we got uh, uh, Max Scherzer through today. You know, the elite David Peterson throws tomorrow, so that's going to be must-watch TV. But uh, again, just happy to see. Uh, you know, we're seeing two and a half hour ball games, so those are fun. Literally, I'm like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. Oh, we're already in the fifth inning. Shit, this game's moving pretty fast. So you're seeing the uh, pitch clock in effect early. So, again, it's a new wave of baseball, two-and-a-half-hour games. All good for me. Yeah, I, I definitely am very interested by these rule changes. I mean, not just the pitch clock, but also the amount of times you can throw over to bases. So it's just been a lot like the old-school game of baseball, which I'm all for. You know, quick games, not drawing everything out, especially in spring training. These games should not be four hours, three-and-a-half hours. So – Two and a half hours, I'm all good with that. We've gotten to see some of the new acquisitions. We've gotten to see some of the young pieces. And we've gotten to see some of our regulars before they depart us for a little bit of time. So it's been good. I'm glad that it started. And I'm just glad baseball is back because, you know, we get we we now get to react to what's happening instead of react to what we think is going to happen. So that's always the It's definitely a new era in Mets baseball, I can definitely say. We're now in that three to four to five-year time frame that Steve Cohen set on us of where he wanted to win a World Series in three to five years, and this is year three of his ownership. So now the stakes are higher, the expectations are high for tons of players. We're just getting started with baseball season, and uh, this is where it starts. So as for play that is going on the field, a majority of the Mets stars have had reps on the field, but that has not been the case for Brandon Nimmo so far. The Mets have decided that Nimmo will appear in fewer spring training games than the recent years, as the now long-term center fielder explains that he wants to put a little more emphasis on the games that matter. In addition to that, Nimmo said the following. We're not in the mindset anymore of just because that's the way it's been done, that's the way you should do it. We're in the mindset of whatever works, repeat that, do that. Last year, it worked. This is the reason why we want 50, 150 plus games out of me again. And then in the playoff. Brandon Nimmo is now coming into a 29-year-old season after re-signing with his birthright team for eight years, $162 million this offseason. This isn't that big a deal. Again, we've known his injury history in the past. And again, these games don't matter. As long as he gets the number of reps that he needs, which it looks to be they have a plan. They had the same thing with Starling Marte, who's coming off the injury. They seem to have a plan. As long as he's ready for opening day and can play 140 games this year, I don't think, oh, he's not playing against the split squad Marlins or he's not playing against the Astros in spring training. I don't think it's that big a deal. Just get the reps he needs, and you're seeing him on the backfields taking uh, live BP versus Scherzer or Verlander, probably hitting against Senga as well. As long as he's getting working, as long as he's not just sitting at home, you know, getting fat and making raw chicken, I think that's fine. That's a different discussion. But as long as he's working on those backfields, helping guys like Verlander and Senga in those live BPs, and he's still getting work in action, I don't think it's that big a deal because, again, I'd rather see him 140 games in the regular season than, oh, he's going to play, you know, almost every day at spring training. And then in mid-May, 
you know, he tweaks us, he tweaks something or he pulls his hamstring he goes, Oh, he's, oh, he's working every single play and every single day. So I don't think it's that big a deal. I mean, I see some people complain about it. I don't know why you just paid him. So you'd want your investment to stay healthy as much as possible. So again, he is not playing the first two weeks of spring training. Whoop-de-doo. Uh, as long as he's getting the work he needs to continue to improve, I think that's the bigger, that's the more important factor of like, Hey, this is more important for the regular season than spring training. The most interesting thing to me is the fact that he's the only guy doing this on the team. Uh, they talk about trying to, you know, preserve your investment. Francisco Lindor is making more money, yet is playing a day game after a night game. Jeff McNeil just got an extension. Was, he's older than Brendan Nimmo. He played a day game after a night game. Escobar, he's older, so there's more risk for injury. He played day game after a night game. Meanwhile, Brandon Nimmo is yet to play. So, I'm just curious why Brandon Nimmo is the one guy that, like, okay, he's definitely not going to get nearly as many games as these other guys. Is there something going on that we don't know about? Do they really just not trust Brandon Nimmo's health all that much? I know I make the joke about, oh, he gets hurt so much. Oh, he's so injury prone. He won't even try to steal the base. Is it that bad that they're like, we could only play him X amount of games? Because if that's the case, if that's how they truly feel in the organization, I really wish they would have put more of a point of emphasis into getting a fourth outfielder that could actually play center field because our fourth outfielder has played second uh, has played center field two days in a row has not looked anything like Nemo has not looked anything close to competent so I, I just very concerned to me that he's the only guy they're doing this with and I'm just like why because I don't really love Lindor playing day game after night game the first two days of spring training and you know McNeil and these guys because. They're just as important as Brandon Nimmo. This whole team, everybody in the lineup is really important. So you can't – well, I mean, not everybody, but the core guys, they're all important. You need all of them if the Mets are going to go all the way. So I want to see if one guy gets rest, they all get rest. That's the way I look at it. So I'm just very curious, like, why there's not consistency between all the players and why it's just Nimmo. Because he's not coming off of any offseason procedures, if I'm not mistaken, or any – like injuries for the most part. So I'm just very, uh, I don't know. This kind of came out of nowhere, in my opinion. The fact that it like, we just found out about this week that he's going to get a few days off. Then the whole not playing for Team Italy. I don't know. Speculation, but it is interesting. But the reason those guys are playing McNeil, Lindor, they're going to the WBC. He isn't. He's staying here. So he can, while yeah. those guys are gone, he'll probably play every day once. And that's probably what they're going to wait. They're going to wait until March 3rd or whatever. Whenever these guys go, then he'll play every day. And then those guys who need the reps to play, because they're getting ready to play in competitive baseball now. Like, yeah, we're calling the WBC, you know, it's a tournament, but it's competitive ball. You're going from spring training, it does not matter, to now those guys are going to go play in a, a playoff-type atmosphere for your country. So they need the reps because they're going to play from no games to play every day to go play for your country. So that's why those guys are playing. Nimmo, you can take the rest because guess what? You need to sell tickets. He's going to be there after probably March 3rd or whenever these guys are leaving. Then that's probably when you're going to see Nemo every day, Marte, a longer probably end of March, we might guess, or mid-March. But again, again, with Nemo, and it's experiment time. Right? We see, see Tommy Pham playing center field. This is the Telbuck show, Walter. No, no, Tommy Pham can't play center field. But with Nemo not playing, you can try those experiments in these games that don't matter. We all said that before they even signed the guy. We all said he can't do it. This is just me. If I'm a team that has the highest payroll and I'm in win-now mode, I'm not trying to get my guys to play so much and play about the WBC. If I'm the Mets, I could care less about the WBC. I need these guys fully healthy. I don't need Lindor tired already going into spring to the regular season. I don't need McNeil and Alonzo having any additional wear and tear. I want my guys fully rested because we're trying to win a championship this year. We gave us money to Scherzer and Verlander. We have this very small window. I just don't know why the Mets are like, oh, let's play Dinger after that game. It's so important. These guys are ready for the WBC. Who cares about the WBC if you're the Mets? I mean, the players, they could care about it. That's fine. They want to represent for their countries. I'm good with that. But if I'm the Mets, I'm like, I want to keep my guys rested. So the guys that are going to the WBC, Brendan Nimmo's not – it shouldn't really affect it because all the guys that are going are infielders and Nimmo's an outfielder. So it's not like those guys are preventing, you know, now Nimmo gets to play more because those guys aren't there. Like, he has nothing to do with them. So I don't know. I mean, that's just me. I think the Mets, I think their priorities should be a little different. I think they should prioritize resting everybody and not being so concerned about the WBC. I don't think this has anything to do with the WBC. I don't think this has to do with Nimmo getting this special treatment because he was just paid all this money. I think that they're just being cautious in the fact that they have 
this history of Brandon Nimmo being banged up a lot. And if you were to go around the diamond of everybody that plays every single position, you have guys with injury concern because they're just old. They're just older. They don't have a history of a lot of injury. I mean, that's true. I mean, Lindor and Alonzo were absolute Ironmans last year, so that's fair. I mean, Jeff, he has a hamstring per year, so that could happen at any time. But I don't know. <clears throat> I mean, it's just a little concern to me that in year one of an eight-year deal, we're already, like, not so sure about Nimmo's health. That's a little scary because, I mean, we all agreed that, like, Nimmo, priority, keep him, yes. We didn't love the term. We didn't love the eight-year aspect of it. And if in year one, he already needs extra reps. I think he just wants to rep up with the back end of spring training when he has the opportunity to do it and he'd be ready for the regular season, give you 150-plus games, and also be healthy for the playoffs. Because I don't want to see Brandon Nimmo in just three playoff games. I want to see him in a lot more. And we only saw him in three playoff games last year. Granted, not his fault. The team just stunk. I can tell you right now, I need we need him for a deep playoff run. First week of spring training, if he wants to rest, he can rest. Because we all know how Brandon Nimmo has had injury history. And I'm pretty sure he did sit out of quite a few games last year in spring training. He was able to stay healthy relatively the entire year, minus a few tweaks or whatever being out and having his rest days. So... I think that if you were to go around this entire team, yes, Marte is probably the only one with the other injury concern, but obviously he's having his whole situation taken care of. Brandon Nimmo, very injury prone throughout his career so far. Mark Canna, he's just older, right? He's never really been relatively hurt. And to be honest, I don't think he'll ever really get hurt while he's a Met because he takes so many shots to the elbow or to the to the leg when he's hit by pitches. That's just his thing. Eduardo Escobar has the injury concern because he's older. Francisco Lindor hasn't been relatively injured that much throughout his career. Jeff McNeil will play 140 a year. We know that's going to happen. Pete Alonso, any possible bullet just goes right off his flubber. I mean, let's be real for a second. Omar Narvaez was banged up. I mean, that's probably the reason why you're seeing so many catchers so far between whether it's Nick Mayer or whatever. Other than that, I would be a little bit more concerned about this if this was week three and not week one. A guy that needs rest and has been injured a lot in his career definitely deserves to take it slow to begin spring training. Now, speaking of old people that don't know how to move. Before games began, Darren Ruff revealed that he received a cortisone shot due to arthritis in his wrist, which has reportedly been bothering him for the past few years. Hoping that the swelling goes down, Mets manager Buck Showalter confirmed that Ruff will be limited to just cage work in the ongoing week. Ruff was acquired at the trade deadline last season from San Francisco and struggled to the millionth degree, posting a 24 WRC plus in 74 plate appearances. Ruff is now coming into a 36-year-old season and has yet to see spring training action. Yeah, I mean, this one, it's not even surprising at this point because like I've said a million times, when you have a guy who's this old, I know you tend to get hurt and these things, they just get worse. And what's so crazy to me is that the Mets, this is time number one. I'm going to reference this. We'll keep a counter. How many times are going to bring this up? But when they didn't sign Carlos Correa and they looked at his medicals, oh, there's something going on with his ankle. Maybe we shouldn't get him. But Darren Ruff has had a wrist problem for years. No problem. Let's get him. He's totally fine. And then he stinks. And it's like, oh, it must be my wrist. Let me get a cortisone shot. But no, let's keep him. Let's pick up the option. Let's not decline him. Let's keep him on this roster, taking up a roster spot, taking up a 40-man roster spot so that these other younger arms that you claim, the Taylor Saucedos of the world, some of the other younger arms, they get removed from the 40-man roster so Darren Ruff could stay. It's, I just don't know what more they need to see just to realize that, Billy, you failed. He's not going to be good. He's not going to come through. He's just overall a very rough player to watch. He's just not very good. He's old. He's bad. He's useless. He just doesn't provide a lot of value to this team. And we've talked so much about the bench. Vogelback, he's there to hit. Vientos, will he make the team? Maybe. Other than that, you're looking at Guillaume and who? 
Fam, who's he's so far done a whole bunch of you know BABIP. That's what he's got so far. So I mean, what is Ruff even doing here? I mean, that, that's really what it comes down to. It's just like you could get so much more use, so much more value out of other players. Like I think that Tim LaCastro could actually help the Mets more. Even Abraham Almonte could help the team more than Darren Ruff could at this point. So I don't know what they're waiting for. Again, as you get older, you become more injury prone. I don't see a bounce back happening because here's the thing. Darren Ruff, he had his, you know, great WRC plus as, you know, hitting against left-handed pitchers, whether he was in Korea or with the Phillies or with the Giants or whatever. Here's the thing. All Met fans absolutely despise this guy. We all hate him. I, I Maybe not all, but a majority of them do. When Darren Ruff steps into the box in City Field, he's going to get booed out of the ballpark. Do we know that Darren Ruff has the mental makeup to overcome this and be like, no, I'm going to prove these guys wrong? No, because he's never had that kind of pressure. He's never had that kind of, you know, fan base that's all over him. Because when you're out in the KBO or wherever he was, they don't really care if you stink because he did well there because he's not a major league player. So I just don't think that he's going to have this bounce back year with the crowd going against him because we've seen so many guys who come here, they struggle, the crowd gets on him, and they never bounce back from it. Everything is against him right now. It's an uphill battle for him. So I just don't even know why we're you know doing cage work and all this stuff. Just get rid of the guy. I mean, get someone who actually can provide more value and use for this team. Get a guy who can actually play center field. So Tommy Fab isn't out there. You know, he's going to get arthritis too, falling down. I'll be able to catch anything out there. Another old man. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think you made a good point of like Epler just not willing to just say, "Hey, you were wrong. You screwed up the deadline." This dude's pool. And yeah, I mean, Tim LaCastro is the goat. He would be more productive than Darren Rowe. But again, a 36-year-old with arthritis. Wow, that's a shocker. Frank got it when he was 12. But again, it, it's just the point of, who cares? Like, and it's not like, and the fact that they didn't go out and upgrade and then, you know, oh, Mark Vantos. Yeah, that's our option. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to see Mark Vantos get every day. Point again, he's just filling a roster spot. We, we made the joke of like, hey, if he even hits spring training, he doesn't hit, maybe he will get DFA'd. Man's not even, we're not even seeing him in games. And God knows when he will get into a game. And like you said, the fans, the fans hate him. I mean, again, I don't hate the, again, we just hate the production. You don't hate the person, but, you know, it's how it be. You know, I don't think he's going to be, I'm going to be Carlos Beltran at Francisco Lindor. Yeah, you're going to hate me? You're going to boo me? And I'm at 40 bombs. I don't see Darren enough hitting 40 bombs. Well, he hit one. He'll hit one. That's a great question. What, do, you, do you think he'll get one? I think we'll make this bet. Who homers first, Tim LaCastro or Darren Ruff? You need your wrist to do it. So, I... he should have a short leash, but we'll see again. Epler is just hell-bent on not giving up and saying, hey, I was wrong, and we gave up four assets. For Darren Ruff. I was not shocked at all to figure this out that he had some kind of injury or whatever because I knew that there was going to be some kind of excuse that they're going to hide behind him playing like absolute dog shit last year and this was going to be pretty much it. Of course we had to build this whole storyline of this has been bothering me for a few years but now in my career as I resurge to greatness this is going to help. Cortisone shot does not really help as much as people think it does. It takes the swelling down. Again, I'm no doctor. Whatever. Everyone's different. It's okay to give him a chance in spring training. Is he actually going to be there to do it? He's hurt now. Daniel Vogelbach looks good so far. Mark Vientos is showing somewhat of life. It's not going to take much to beat him out compared to the production he was giving us last year past the trade deadline. But I think that once he is healthy, here's my deal that I'd make I'd make with him. If I'm Buck Showalter, and I'm not Buck Showalter, I'm not the most handsome manager voted in all of baseball, I tell him you have 15 plate appearances. If you don't show any life... Don't do anything in those 15 plate appearances. You're done. You're DFA'd. We'll buy you out. Whatever the hell is going on in his contract. That stupid team option crap. I don't care. He's got to go. It's pretty much the same, and not contractually, but it's pretty much the same deal that you had with Robinson Cano. They waited way too long to let go of this guy. They let him prove that he could still be the player that he used to be. I don't want to see this guy... On the opening day roster, like we saw with Robinson Cano, if he were to go 0 for 15 in those 15 plate appearances that I would give him, if he's not showing anything in spring training, granted, even if he doesn't even play, if he's hurt the whole time, move 
on. Don't wait. Don't have this guy take up a roster spot over someone who deserves it a lot more than him. They need to cut the cord at the right time. And the right time is either after you see nothing in spring training or if he's injured throughout the entire spring training. Don't keep him around to prove a point. Now, early this week, the Mets played an intra-squad game which featured the return of Southpaw Joey Lucchese after undergoing Tommy John surgery back in 2021. Lucchese ended his 2022 season rehabbing with the Mets minor league system before having his rehab extended during the last few weeks of the season. The Chirp specialist said that he is healthier than ever and he has made a lot of mechanical adjustments, including a new pitch that he added to his arsenal. In regards to Lucchese's role this season, he said that I feel like I'm a dog and wherever they need me, I could help out. Lucchese is coming into a 30-year-old season and will be looking to grab a spot in the Mets opening day bullpen. Yeah, Joey Fuego is a dog. I, I love hearing that. You know, I love me I love me a guy who knows who calls himself a dog. So that's already a plus in my book. But yeah, I think definitely he could be in that bullpen, especially if, you know, Drew Smith continues to be Drew Smith. Uh, having a second lefty, I'm continuing to bang that damn drum that one of these McFarlane's, Lucchese's, Josh Walker, the Mets need a second lefty in that pen. Brooks Raley's even more valuable because then you can use him. You, you can use him in any type of situation. With Lucchese being a primary two-pitch guy, yes, he's trying to use a third pitch. If that's a two-pitch mix, that's a guy who could, that's a that's a reliever. That's not a starter in today's game. You need multiple assets, and he doesn't throw a hundred, so he doesn't have that as his fastball. You know, he's a mid-nineties fastball with a chirp. That's a, that sounds like a reliever, and again, maybe he takes that Trevor Williams type role where he's taking swingman innings and giving you two to three innings at a time. That's possible, or you can use utilize him as a full just lefty loogie have an extra reliever i think he wants to be a starting every starting pitcher doesn't want to go to the pen they want to be a starter and the mets pitching depth besides the five they have and then the two kids you know blue casey's after that and do you want to just take away from that already short rotation depth and put him in the pen as an idea i think you should keep him as a starter as much as i want that second lefty i think there's some guys in-house you can already go for that spot i think blue casey should stay stretched out in triple a as a starter with the other two, because again, just the, there's no depth in the rotation besides the two obvious two, and then Lucchese would be that third guy. Eliezer Hernandez, uh, uh, that's not a human being, uh, but that's the short depth they would have in the high high in the minors for, hey, Scherzer's gone for two weeks with the oblique. All right, any two starts, Lucchese can come in and do two starts. Or Carlos Gratz goes on for two weeks, give him the two, you know, two spot starts. I, could, I would trust Lucchese to come in and make a two staff, two starts, give me five and fly, and just give me productive innings. So I think he should be kept as a starter. If the Mets had better depth in the rotation, I would say definitely want him in, wanting him in the pen, but just the, not having the depth in the rotation to give to lose a guy just because, probably not the smartest decision. I saw something from Anthony DeComo, I think it was yesterday or something like that, where the Mets are looking to keep David Peterson and – Tyler McGill and Eliezer Hernandez and Joey Lucchese and all of these uh, guys who can start, they're trying to get them just stretched out as starters to start off the year. So, I mean, I we'll see what the role is, but, you know, starter or reliever, he should have a role in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with Andrew. I think he should be stretched out to be at minimum a swing man, but ideally just a guy that could give you those innings if it was in a spot start or – double header or like Andrew said there's plenty of injuries and things like that could happen but one of the things that's going to happen and it happens every year at the beginning of the season is who has minor league options and who doesn't you know they talked about it on the broadcast today but Steven Agostic and Tommy Hunter don't have options so you imagine that if they have good springs probably Tommy Hunter maybe makes this team at the start and if he struggles or if Nagosik makes it and struggles then they go down and maybe all these other guys come up. I mean, we'll see if some of the other young guys made the team already. Like, does a Brigham make it? Does our ridings make it? You know, does my man John Curtis make it? Will Montes Dioka make the opening day roster because he already has that Mets major league? You're going to have most of those guys already there. So having Luke Casey as the depth for either or, if you need a starter, okay, Luke Casey could do that. But if you're a reliever, he could do that as well. I do want to at least see him have the durability of a starter, 
But for this team at some point, again, if someone's going to get hurt. I mean, not all these guys are going to stay healthy and someone's going to struggle. But I would like to get some looks out of the bullpen. And especially, like Andrew said, if it was like that one at bat, like two outs, you have a lefty at the plate. Let's see what Lucchese does just in that one spot. Like, I mean, you just have to kind of learn because this is a guy who has team control. So you want to just see, like, can he be versatile for you? Can you utilize him in multiple situations? Or would he just be strictly a starting pitcher? So the only way to know is to try. I mean, that's the only way you can really find out and know exactly what you have in Joey Lucchese. So I think at least have him stretched out this way at minimum. He could give you those few innings per outing. But, you know, he starts in the minor leagues, and then you kind of adjust depending on how the season's going, who's doing well, who's not doing well, and you just go from there. It seems like from that quote that we did get from him the other day that he's looking to be able to have the Trevor Williams type of role. Do I think that he's flashy enough or as explosive enough or has the arsenal beat a reliever? Probably not. If it is in long relief, then maybe. It's very odd with him because he is coming off of an injury. Could he actually go multiple innings? We haven't seen him go multiple innings in a while. He's coming off of Tommy John surgery. A very funky thrower, very weird delivery. In some aspects, he could be a reliever. In some aspects, he couldn't. But I would love to have him as one of the depth starters, as someone who is stretched out. And I hope that they do stretch him out. And I really just want the Mets to have those options when the older rotation goes down, if they have those injuries. And, you know, we're going to have those throughout the season. If he says that he feels good, he says that he's in the in his best shape of his life, like we hear from all these spring training guys all all the time, you know, the the uh, typical Dom Smith quote, I'm a fan of Lucchese. I like his strengths, and I think that it's something that can really contribute down the stretch of a 162-game season. We just don't really know what that role is going to be. We have, a, we have a huge pit of young pitchers and controllable arms that will be competing for those spots but we will see what happens down the stretch of the season because I think that there is going to be a time where they're going to need an arm like Joey Lucchese 100% whether it's in a reliever role or a starter role or a spot starter or whatever it is now Mets left fielder Mark Canna came into camp looking a lot stronger compared to last year Canna said that he lifted heavier during this offseason and hired a personal strength and performance trainer the big league foodie said that he would like to hit 10 more home runs than he did last season Canna's career high power numbers were back in 2019 when he slugged 26 home runs with an OPS over 900 for Oakland that season. It's not that simple as, oh, I'm bigger now, I'm going to hit more because we'll get to some of these other guys later on who slimmed down. Like, is Pete Alonso not going to hit as many home runs because he lost weight? Like, because Marquez is bigger now, he automatically hits more home runs? doesn't necessarily work like that. It, it, it takes more than that, and I think that he's really changed. If that's what he's going for, he's kind of changing what he does. I mean, I look at Marquez as a guy who, you know, tries to get hit by pitches, Tries to draw walks, work counts, and just get on base. I don't see Marquez as a guy who's really just you know swinging for the fences and taking big overswings and uppercutting to hit home runs. Like that's not really his game. This team does need power, so I do like that at least somebody on this team is taking initiative to try to hit for more power and not be like everybody else in this lineup. But the thing is that Marquez. He still provided production doing what he did, so I just hope that he doesn't mess himself up too much trying to do something like so much later in his career that he wasn't previously doing as far as like what his goal is to then like you kind of get caught in a McNeil situation where you call in between it's like do I want to be a power hitter do I want to be a guy that gets on base and then once you get stuck in the middle it's very hard to come back from that and it's very easy to struggle so I'm curious to see what happens I hope it works I hope that Mark Hand does hit 10 more home runs but I also hope in the intern that his actual production whatever you want to use OPS WRC plus batting average, whatever you want to use, that that doesn't decrease as a result. So I think that as long as we're still getting production, both we can get some more power along with it, that'd be great. But it becomes a remain and see game. It isn't that easy as, oh, I lifted heavier weights. I'm going to hit 10 more home runs. doesn't work that way. First of all, yes, it does. Second of all, now countering the point of Pete Alonso slimming down and or guys who gain muscle and fat are two different things. I think that's something that we, we don't talk about. Like if, if Daniel Vogelbach slims down, and gains more muscle, he's going to be fine. It doesn't mean that if your weight's down, you can't hit more dinger. That's not a situation. If you have more muscle, you can still hit 
more home runs. Do you know how hard it is to lose 20 pounds and gain muscle in the span of like a couple months? Well, he's a big guy. He's a broad guy. Again, that that's that's the whole point of body composition. Mark Hanna, who's, you know, a, a regularly sized guy, shall we say, gained some muscle. He has the potential to maybe hit 20 home runs. I would love to see it. We've seen it before. Granted, in the juice ball era, but I do know that he is capable of adding extra base hits to his game or adding more power to his game. How much will it be? I don't know. I think the possibility of Canna hitting more homers, maybe, because he maybe has said jumping guys earlier. Because we all know Michael Conforto, very similar to Mark Canna. First pitch, it's always taken. Majority of the time, no, he's taken. No, no. Yeah. Like, yeah. Where, where is this yeah. from? Oh, my God. It's called watching a ball game. Stop. Big spot. Please stop. Bases Just loaded. enough. First, Let's put this to bed. Right Please put this to bed. Please fast put this right to bed. Put it to Take bed. It. Put it no. to bed. No. 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 Put yeah. it to bed. Stop. No. The only thing that is similar between Mark Canna and Michael Conforto is that they both get plunked a lot. That's about it. That's literally it. They are not the same hitter whatsoever. My point is instead of working counts, being more aggressive early, first pitch fastball, jumping a pitcher early. Canna's always one of these guys, like we've said, he loves working counts. Six, seven, eight pitch ABs. Jump early. Stop working count. It, it doesn't have to be every AB, but in RBI situations, jump a guy early. If he's trying to get ahead of a fastball, swing early and put a better swing on it. instead of, oh, let me work a seven-pitch AB. Let me try to get an 8-10 draw walk. The aggressive it is of, hey, getting a first-pitch fastball, swinging and putting a good swing on it, that could also result in the power numbers going up. Do I think he can do it? Yeah, I think he can hit you 16. I don't think he's going to hit you to 20, but New City Field Dimensions, who really knows? If he hits you 16, I think that's pretty much what you ex can expect. If, even an increase and hit 12 last year, 16 would be fine. And then and we'll see what else the rest of the lineup is doing. But if Mark Cannon is giving you 16 homers out of the seventh spot of the lineup most nights, I think we can sign up for that. But, yeah, would I love to see him at 23, 24? Hell, yeah. But do I expect Mark Cannon to do that? No. I, you know, I would expect, you know, 17. And if I get anything more, it's a bonus. But I think there's a way he can do it, but I'm not like, oh man, Mark Hanna, big power break at age 34. Like, I'm not I'm not expecting that. So again, if I get 16, I'll be pretty good for Mark. Have any of you actually watched Mark Hanna play baseball before? No, we don't watch the A's. No, we we actually we've tortured ourselves watching the Mets. Mark Hanna swings a lot. He is one of those guys who gets in an 0-2 count on purpose swinging at pitches and fouling them off. I'm not he's not one to really take pitches cuz he's always looking for a first pitch fastball to foul off and get deep into the count. Once again, like I said with that, not Conforto. They are not the same player whatsoever. They don't even they don't even hit with the same hand. Not a good comparison at all. Legit the stupidest thing I've ever heard and I don't know where the hell that narrative started. If Mark Hanna were to hit for a lot more power, I don't I don't think you're going to see that much of a difference from his game compared to last year. I think you're still going to see the same disciplined player but if he were to get a pitch that he likes again he's going to get a lot more under it he's not going to try to make actual contact with it and he's going to try and drive the ball and pull the ball he's not going to try to use the middle of the field he's not going to try to keep it on the ground stuff like that i don't think there's going to be much of a change from mark canna hitting for more power than hitting for less power but we'll see what happens i've seen mark canna play with that balance before so I'm not really concerned. Hopefully, we do get 23 homers. Hopefully, we do get 24 homers. I hope we do. But I don't think there's going to be as much as a change as you guys think it is because both of your impressions of Mark Hanna are stupid and absolutely ridiculous. So he took the first pitch 420 times and swung at the first pitch 122 times. So most of the time... He's taking that first pitch. What about the second pitch? Again, again getting, getting in the 0-2 count. The times, he's aggressive. He's aggressive. He's aggressive best, early. A lot of the times, the best pitch you're going to get is the first pitch. Who taught you how to play baseball, my friend? Everybody. It's a well-known fact. Yeah. Just okay. getting a closer balance. 
maybe they'll increase power. So even though the Mets will have two of the greatest pitchers of all time at the top of their rotation, the spotlight will be turned to 30-year-old Japanese star pitcher Kodai Senga during spring training. Senga's spring debut is still uncertain, but the pitching coaches are loving what they're seeing so far. In Senga's latest bullpen session on Thursday, his command was noticeably better, with his fastball reaching... 98 miles an hour. His signature ghost fork has also been on full display in live batting practice as Mets hitters have struggled to make any sort of contact. This adjustment to the MLB is still a key thing to watch, but the expectations are definitely high after Senga signed a five-year, $75 million contract with the Mets this offseason. I like that the fact, again, keep him hidden. I don't want to see him I don't want anyone in the Major League Baseball seeing him in live BP. I like keeping the unknown. If the Mets see him throwing those BP sessions, keep him throwing on the backfields, keep him, you know, giving those live BP. Because the more other teams see him, the quicker they're going to figure him out. So I like the fact that they are keeping him hidden. They're not going to go first time through, maybe not even second time through, that he's going to face a Major League team. Eventually he's going to have to, yes. But I like the ability have him face the Astros. Like, don't let him face anyone in the division. Let him face the Astros and keep him. I don't want any division teams seeing him. I want the book just to be American League teams, whatever. And then opening day, once the season starts, let that book start later as possible. But again, the expectation is, you know, him hitting 98. We've heard he can hit near 100. So we have 96, 98. You see 100 the next third B plus session. There you go. You know, that's the kind of thing. Him getting used to the new ball size. It's good to see, you know, him the ghost fork is unhittable as it was told to be. Everything we've heard is great. Keep him away from hitters as long, uh, other teams as long as possible. I'll be fine. And then I know everybody wants to see him, but it's best for the Mets to keep him hidden as long as possible so that book does not get around. So the first time seeing him, whoa, nobody's seeing him, and he's blowing guys away. So, again, velocity's great. He's getting used to it. He's having fun on interviews. So, you know, we got to love. He's got a little bit of a personality. You know, we'll see. Wait, come opening day or whenever we see him live. Hopefully against the Astros. You want to keep him away out of that National League. He's seeing him multiple times. Exactly. I mean, no matter – they can give you whatever reports they want, how hard he's throwing, if they can find the ghost, if they can't find the ghost, whatever the case is, I still need to see it happen in the regular season against the elite teams. And if he does well, great. If he doesn't, then we're in trouble. But, again, it's like I can't overreact to what's happening in spring training. I'm not going to overreact if he's only throwing 96 or if he's throwing 98 or – the balls and the slopes and all the other differences and the countries and oh, just all the different things that go into it. But I think that, like I said, it's a way to see approach. Um, you know, I mean, strike out the Mets lineup. That doesn't do much for me. Not that impressive. Like, I've seen plenty of pitchers do it, especially the bad ones. They tend to do really well against the Mets lineup. So, again, when I see it against the elite teams, then I'll buy it more, especially when it comes postseason time because, again, as we said – as of right now, he is our number three pitcher. So if you're in a short series, do or die game, he's on the mound. So, I mean, th that's where we'll really get our determination of how we feel about Sanga. Because even with Bassett, he was great the whole season. Then he kind of fell off a little bit at the last month. And then the playoff start wasn't good. Then all of a sudden we have a sour taste in our mouth about Bassett. So it's not so much about, like, how the season goes, but also, like, in the biggest moments – how do they perform? That would be the determining factor on if the Mets made the right decision replacing Bassett with Sanga. So, like I said, I'm still waiting, and we'll, we'll see what happens. With I mean, I don't really have much to say as to, you know, how I'm feeling about this whole situation. I think that as for the adjustments we've seen so far and, you know, this kind of transition period from Japan to the major leagues, I think that if he's hitting, you know, 98, with these different baseballs, which is very, is definitely a huge factor because if you see the difference between them, you'd be very shocked. It definitely looks that he's adjusting on the schedule that they're expecting him to do. And I think that once we do see him, we're definitely going to get quite the taste of it. And I don't know how long he's going to be, you know, I don't know how many innings he's going to pitch. I don't know if they're going to put him on a pitch limit, but they are taking it in the direction as to how how these Japanese pitchers should be. We don't want to toss him straight into the fire. He's sort of going in through like this quick kind of minor league development that prospects go through. That's basically what you're seeing. They're just you know taking it one step at a, at a time. They have a whole month for this whole situation. 
and hopefully he does make a pretty good adjustment once he is counted on to pitch. I think that they're taking a very good route with him right now. I'm excited to see what he does. There's uncertainty, but I think that it's a lot more of excitement uncertainty for me right now because, again, spring training, these games don't matter. I can't wait to see him pitch, and that's pretty much it. He throws pretty hard. He's got an amazing ghost fork. Let's see this guy pitch live, and then that's when we can make the full judgment. So now let's get into some questions that you guys sent to us. For those of you who want to ask us a question, click the link in the description, fill out our form with your name and your Mets-related question, and it could be featured on the next episode of the Mets weekly podcast question comes from Kodai Sangoat it's a nice name expectations for Daniel Vogelbach I mean nothing has changed from what you know he's had a nice spring it's good to see but you know hopefully 20 homers you know be a productive somewhat secondary power source that's what my expectations were going into the season and always had a nice little start which is good to see but again 20 20 plus homers 125 plus WRC plus first righties. Like, that's pretty much what I'd expect. Again, I don't love him, but, you know, he's Chunga. He's no longer Chungus. He's put, you know, he's gone down into Fluffy. And we, we get a stolen base. I'm expecting a stolen base now with him losing some weight, but that's pretty much it with Vogelbach. I don't have high, high hopes, but be, be a secondary power bat. Yeah, so for Daniel Vogelbach, he's a guy that, like I've said many times, he got to the great start, hamstring didn't do so well. What I would at least hope or expect is that we get a bit of a happy medium. I don't think we're going to get the guy, the Mets' first guy, where, I mean, he was just ridiculously good in protecting Pete Alonso, putting up awesome numbers. But I also don't think we're going to be the guy who was just an automatic double play and was absolutely brutal at the end of the season. I think we're going to get a little bit of, like, more so on the good side. Like, he's going to be pretty good but not great. That's my expectations for Daniel Volkenbeck. I think that the issue with him is that even though he lost weight, I feel like he will still have the same weaknesses. I don't think we're going to see him play much first base at all. And again, that's also because P. Alonso is going to get most of the reps there. I still feel like in a big spot late in the game, you probably pinch run for him. Again, that's if Tim LaCasher is on this roster or somebody like that. I feel like he still gets pinch run for. If Daniel Vogelbeck is starting for you at DH against a right-handed pitcher and team goes to a lefty early, they probably still pull him from the game. So he's still not going to be great against lefties. So I feel like he's still going to have those same weaknesses and limitations. So you're going to have to utilize him to his strengths and just like in very specific circumstances. But I think that we're going to get the guy who was a little closer to the one we first got when we acquired than the one at the end of the season that was playing on one leg. You obviously had two different Vogelbachs when he was traded to the Mets. You had him starting off pretty well and then ending very poorly because of a hamstring injury. And I think that that kind of just screwed him up completely, not even just, you know, he's not healthy enough to play or he's even slower than he is. One of the main things that attracted me to Daniel Vogelbach was that he actually knew how to lift and elevate the ball and actually hit the ball in the air. When we saw him get injured and hurt his hamstring, this guy was rolling over to second base. This guy was hitting the ball on the ground a lot, and it was just blending into the lineup, just like we saw with everybody, you know, that just kills ants on this team. So I just am hoping that we see the Daniel Vogelbach, whether it's, you know, how he bats up the ball, if he's actually, I just need him to lift the ball. That's it. I just need him to lift the ball out of the out of the five spot. And as for the power numbers, I'm hoping we get 20, 25 home runs from him. I hope we do. I'm hoping that he also, with losing some weight, gets a little bit more rotation in the hips, that he can maybe start to hit left-handed pitching a little bit better. And hopefully he's not a full-on liability in that source. And our second question comes from Robert from Queens. One non-roster invite that you don't want to see at all in the regular season. I mean, I could start this one off if you guys can't think of anybody. Yeah, go for it. Tim LaCastro. This guy does not provide any value whatsoever. He can run. Great. Fantastic. I'm not putting a roster spot uh, as for that guy. Swings a toothpick. Doesn't do anything but run. And he's over 30. And like we say with over 30, he's just going to get hurt, right? He'll just get hurt. Absolutely not. Waste of time. I don't need another guy that's just there for his speed. He's not great defensively in the outfield. He's just fast. I, I don't see any real reason why the guy is here. When Daniel Vogelbeck draws a walk in the eighth inning in a tie game, you want him going base to base or you want a guy to go first to home? I don't care. I really don't care. Like, to be honest, 
base running is like the last thing that I'm worried about right now. Like I, I'm going to tell you right now, if he and he's not even that good at base running, he's just he's fast. Way yeah, it was just and just way faster than Daniel Vogelman. Yeah, and he's not even a smart base runner. So you know what? I'm I don't I don't need someone to just run. If I need someone to run, I'll literally just have Pete Alonso from last night running to the dugout. I don't want to. I really hope I don't see Nick Mayer or Hayden Center. If, if I see either one of them at any point on the best watch of the season, I'm done. I won't be able to take it because that means that the amazing Omar Narvaez and the amazing Tomas Nito didn't last. I, I take Michael Perez over both of them. And obviously, you, you know, my guy. So if I see either one of those guys at any point on the Mets main roster this year, I won't be okay. So I can't take either one of them at any. Jonathan Arise, that dude sucks. I I never want to see that dude ever. That dude sucks. Like that dude's got stupid hair. The guy just sucks. No thank you. Just send him back to Boston. So with games being officially played, that allows us to bring back an old segment from our original content, studs and duds. How this works is very simple. Every week we pick one stud who has excelled during the week that really caught our eye and then one dud who either disappointed us or was very underwhelming or like I like to call it the cringy testicle which is dedicated to the frequent moment when James McCann would adjust his balls after every pitch. So this might be a tough has to determine with only three games being played to this point but i think we'll we'll try our best with this one we'll start with studs well that's easy it's the best player in camp first three games and you're gonna count the inner squad game the best pure hitter on the lineup right now and that is brett Beatty. you're a, you're a met starting third baseman on opening day already got a fat nuke already got a double already got three walks struck out finally you know guy had it on base streak every ab was on base guy's got beautiful hairs lifting the baseball just a beautiful Giselle and better than Francisco Alvarez. Guys only had one A being struck out. So the stud is going to be Brad Beatty. So I'm, I'm going to go with Daniel Vogelbeck. That is my stud for the weekend. Uh, I like that he had that RBI hit to the wall. But what I also like is just that, like, this whole thing with the new rules and no shift. He had those two ground ball hits to the right side on Saturday. And uh, I just wonder if that's something that we're going to see more of. Like, will Daniel Vogelbeck be a little more successful as a left-handed pull hitter with these new rules? So, I mean, like, we always say, you know, don't hit the ball on the ground, don't hit the ball on the ground. But if it's going to lead to some more hits for him and just more offense for the Mets in general, just because he's putting bat on ball and not popping up or striking out, then I think we may see some even more production. We just talked about him a little while ago. Well, I got Abraham Almonte. I'm really impressed with this guy. This guy's got one quick swing. I... I really, he, he gets a, the barrel on the bat real quick. He's looked good. I think that he is at the top of the list to possibly make the uh, roster, maybe be that Jankowski of spring where he does make it. We obviously have our fourth outfielder, but there is uncertainty with Starling Marte. We haven't seen Nimmo play yet, so just in case. In the small samples that he's had in his career so far, he's played fairly well. So I'll see. He's got talent. Definitely. Who sucked? Who's a dud so far? Zach Muttenhern. That dude sucked. That dude came in just walking everybody. Gave up like two runs. I, I, as much as I have a fetish for left-handed relievers, that dude can just be blown up and sent to Korea. That dude's ass. Yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, nobody like other than that dude really just was just absolutely awful killing the team. But um, one guy I was a little disappointed in as far as like not meeting expectations that was Jeff Brigham. I mean, this was his first showcase, his first opportunity, and he gave up a run. He walked the batter, gave up a hit. So it wasn't a good first outing for him. You'll compare some of these other guys. Like we saw William Woods having an outing. We saw Jimmy Acapolis have a scores outing. So he's really fighting for a spot with all these guys. So as of right now, he has the worst ERA of all of them. So he's in last place among all these other young guys competing for a, a bullpen spot. So, again, it's like it's very nitpicking because there's such few days, but – the fact that he was the one that gave up a run of all those other guys who were trying to make the team or on the 40-man roster, he'd be the guy that's my dad. I don't agree with that at all, but all right. Did he give up a run? Yeah, but he looked good, though. Did he walk about it? Kept the ball on the ground. Slider looked good. He walked somebody. First game of spring. First yeah, but Peterson walked somebody. It's the end of the world, but if you know, Jeff Brigham... Because he walks four batters a fucking inning. That's why. Eduardo Escobar. I'm just seeing the guy from the beginning of the year last year popping up. 
lackadaisical, fly swatting. Um, it's just basically just moving me farther and farther away from him and moving to Brett Beatty being the opening day third baseman. But again, three games have been played. Maybe he'll turn it around. And uh, when he does play in the WBC, I just, I'm, I'm glad to not see him because he pisses me off a lot. So that brings us to your rapid fire stories. The Mets' new ace, Justin Verlander, is expected to make his spring debut in about five to six days. The 40-year-old Verlander has expressed his comfort with a normal rotation of rest to start his season. The Red Sox have signed former Met Daniel Palka to a minor league contract. Palka spent all of 2022 in Syracuse with a fantastic campaign posting a 122 WRC plus in 445 plate appearances. The Mets have signed outfielder Jalen Davis to a minor league contract with an invite to spring training. Davis is 28 years old, coming off limited time in the majors with the Red Sox last season. Eight current Mets have been ranked in the MLB Network's top 100 players right now. The top 100 ranks Starling Marte at number 61, Brandon Nimmo at 54, Edwin Diaz at 51, Jeff McNeil at 45, Pete Alonso at 31, Francisco Lin Door at 21, Max Scherzer at 15, and Justin Verlander at 14. Former Mets pitching coach Phil Reagan is suing the Mets for age discrimination after he claims that he was let go by former GM Brody Van Wegenen because of his age. Reagan spent the remainder of the 2019 season as the Mets' interim pitching coach, replacing Dana Elon, who was relieved of his duties in June of 2019. Parting words for episode 9. David Peterson has already probably thrown a gen by the time this has been uploaded. Brett Beatty just continues to has more pressure now, but let's see uh, if he can continue to hit. Uh, and again, a couple days for the guys leave for the WBC, so get to see more of the kids, and that's all I kind of want to see in spring training. Let me see the kids, let me see the prospects, because I don't need to watch these old guys. I can see these guys 162 times, even though me and you watch minor league baseball pretty much every day or every other day, it seems like. I like watching minor league players. You know, we saw some of the Mets regulars. There's still a few guys to see, obviously Verlander and guys like that. I still would like to see them in a Mets uniform. But like Andrew said, the most important thing is to see how these young players develop. Uh, Mark Vientos, he finally got a hit. It was late in the last game you know, on Sunday. So I want to see if he could do a little more because, again, he's someone who's battling for a spot. I mean, him and Darren Ruff are going to have that battle to be the DH against lefties. So I, I think Vientos is a really big opportunity for him. Again, Brett Beatty's fine for that third base job. Obviously, I love seeing Alvarez. But those are guys I'm really keeping an eye on. And then, like we said, we're still going to be watching all these other young relievers we haven't seen all of them yet. We've seen some of them, but again, that battle is still going to be going. I'm just happy baseball is back. That's pretty much it. I'm just happy that we are in that young part of spring where we don't need to worry about winning games yet, and all we're focusing on is how these players perform and how they are going to contribute to this roster, and that's literally all I am looking forward to. Thank you guys so much for watching episode 9 of the Mets Weekly Podcast. We'll see you guys for episode 10 next week. Make sure to follow us on all of those social medias. They're all in the description below. You guys know the drill by now. Let's go Mets. We'll see you guys next time. Peace out.